G'day and welcome to the Drive Able podcast, where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you go back and listen to the last couple of episodes where we interviewed Amin Akbarium, and these were a robust and informative conversation. And it started to cover the tip of the iceberg with respect to the standards and the compliance requirements for the transport industry when we're talking about disabilities. If you're in the industry, we really recommend that you go back and listen to these episodes. We'll be getting back to him for more in-depth breakdowns of certain parts of the policies and procedures that are out there in the very near future. G'day everyone, and this is another exciting interview. Actually, this one, um, in this episode, we will be speaking with Catherine Ray, who is a user of NDIS. She's also a worker within the NDIS um, scheme, working with um, various organizations, which she'll tell, tell us about. And she'll talk, talk to us about her journey around getting behind the wheel. Um, she's got a great story. She's really well experienced using the NDIS. She actually supports a lot of other people um, in terms of gaining all of their funding, maximizing their funding. Um, so she's well in the industry. So she'll, I'm sure she'll have a lot of helpful info. And I really can't wait to hear about that and the story and tips for the, the industry. So uh, Brad, are we ready for this? Yeah, mate, this sounds exciting, this one. I, I can't wait to hear what tips she's got. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Driving is something many take for granted, but when someone has altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. Driving with a disability doesn't mean you have to drive an old clapped out car with farm-like machinery, and relying on a wheelchair doesn't mean waiting for hours and then being in the back of a maxi access cab getting car sick. The Drivable podcast is designed to introduce and explore driving aids for people with disabilities, vehicle modifications, the NDIS, research, medical guidelines, driving techniques, and much, much more. The Drivable podcast is to help you be informed and be in control of your own independence so you can experience freedom through driving safely and reliably. I'm Ali, and with me is Brad, and together we have over 30 years of experience in disability and driving. Enough of the intros, let's get into it. All right, everybody, in this episode, we're talking to Catherine. Catherine, thanks very much for joining us. To kick things off, can you please introduce yourself, telling us a little bit about your disability and what you do as a, in your profession now? Hi. Um, yeah, my name's Catherine. I'm a paraplegic, um, T9, T10, level of injury complete. So nothing, um, no feeling or movement below waistline. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I had my injury at age 38, I suppose, too. So it was um, a major change in, in my life um, and adjusting you know, to life in a, a wheelchair. Um, yeah. How did, how did you have the injury? Can we ask? I, yeah, I had a fall from a balcony. And, oh. um, yeah, so it was... Uh, a bit traumatic I suppose but well not for me because I don't remember it um and uh yeah so I was taken from Tamworth to Newcastle where um I had initial like surgery um on my head because from a head injury and to relieve pressure on my brain and then once it was stabilized they I went to North Shore. Do you have any um 
uh, like family, kids, all that kind of stuff at that age or at that time? No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. So, so you were you're single. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how I guess how did you find that and 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 being sort of the the early days after it? Um, you know, uh, like did, who was around? Did you have people around? What was the process yeah. there? And um, I've got a, an extremely good um, family and and friend base. Thank goodness. And uh, so they they were all. Um, popping in and out of down well down to Sydney because the majority of them all live sort of up in this area um, from Narrabri to Tamworth. And so, yeah, it was a fair distance for everybody to come to travel, you know, to see me. But my mum, she stayed with me the whole time that I was in hospital and at rehab. So she's, a, I think, a major factor in, in how... I suppose how well I, I cope with everything um, because mum's a, she's always been a very um, practical, cool, calm, you know, person, doesn't, didn't panic. And so she made, you know, my life with, with dealing with things, I suppose, just so much easier. Um, and when I would have, you know, I could have my meltdowns as such and then she'd, you know, she'd come in and, straighten up everything and pick everything back up off the floor that I'd thrown and um and yeah and we'd get on with it so you know I think she she was definitely a major part in how how yeah how well you just handling and and getting getting your mind around I suppose that the fact that you, your legs aren't working and you know and you're that, a different person basically yeah totally and and I think um it sort of, it, it takes a while for you to get your head around that. You know, initially you sort of, you're told that, you know, you don't have any movement in your legs and that, you know, your, your life's going to be in a wheelchair is, and that. But it, I, I think it sort of just takes little moments here and there that until you actually, you know, fully dawn on you that, well, holy crap, you know, this is what my life's going to be, be like. And then trying to work out in your mind how how it's going to work when you get home um and your mum helped you your mum helped you with that as well yeah yeah definitely because I I, she just didn't panic you know and I think when you're in rehab and 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 especially rehab you you've got those other people that are that are in there with you and they're all trying to adjust to their you know life being whether they're just paraplegics or whether they're quads and stuff but you would have people that their family members just have you know panicked at everything every little thing that went wrong it was you know it was just panic stations Mm. and just sort of sitting back watching that sort of stuff go on you could just see that affect, you know, the person themselves so much and, and then just how they, you know, would deal with things. And it was because you just have to pick yourself up. Like, honestly, it's it's a matter of you just have to, you know, get on with it. It's hard. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, so much worse off than what I was. But you really do have to just keep going and 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 try and be you know make them 
the best of life, I suppose. And um, those early days, it's really hard to work out that. And especially, I suppose, in in rehab because you've got your you know your physios, your nurses, your OTs, everybody's around you that you can just like call on, mm. and and they're there. Um, it's it's then when you come home as well, I think, and then and especially to rural areas, um, depending on on what your local community is, and um, then it's sort of like a really big holy crap of you know, adjustment. What am I going to do, and um, and how am I going to live, and you know, do you feel how is- yeah. Do you feel isolated when you first come home? From, from all of those people around you to your own home, yeah. what, what does that feel like when you first walk, go through the door and, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it's, yeah. it's completely different to the hospital setting? Yeah. Um, it, is, it is pretty scary, I suppose, and it's, it is very daunting. Um, I, I went home to... Uh, Narrabri where my mum lived on a on a property my sister and brother-in-law they're on a property and uh, my my friends were all on properties so I went to stay with my sister and brother-in-law for a period of a few oh well I'm not sure how long it was now a couple of months maybe um, until we were able to get um, bathroom modifications done and all that at, at home uh, at where mum lived and um, so for me then I was reliant totally on my sister and brother-in-law to get me anywhere because we were I suppose they live about 10k or so out of town so it's not far but it's still out of town and so then um, I had a I had a four-wheel drive myself, uh, so every just about everybody else in my whole world had four-wheel drives, and so I couldn't just jump in a vehicle and, you know, easily and go anywhere. So I was then dependent on my brother-in-law to, you know, help me get in the vehicle and mm-hmm. take me anywhere. So it was a big thing for them. Also, you know, I had I was. Um, conscious of not being a, a pain in the backside as such for them, you know, I didn't want to be calling on him to take me everywhere all the time. So those initial few months until I was able to get a vehicle myself was, yeah, pretty, I suppose, isolating mm. to that degree because I just, yeah, I was so restricted with... And with, frustrating yeah. as well, probably. Yeah, it is frustrating. Well, yeah. and... And especially because I'd always been such, you know, extremely independent, sort of did what I wanted to do, went where I wanted to, you know, I could just sort of pick up and go at a drop of a hat as such, you know. If I wanted to go visit friends in Queensland or wherever, you know, I, I, I just did that. So to come back to that and not be able just to go anywhere, wherever I wanted yeah, it was it was really restricting, um, but I mean, I was I was extremely lucky that I had you know the the base that I had. I suppose that um, were you were you driving beforehand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like been driving kind of since you were young and all that kind of stuff. Very comfortable with it. Yeah. Then were you um, 
I guess in all of these thought processes that's been that was going on in those initial stages, at what point did you start thinking about I need to be driving on my own? Um, was it oh. right at the very beginning, or like we was it even a yeah. thought process of driving? What when did that sort of thought come in? Yeah, I I suppose when I I mean hospital when you're in the hospital, you, you know I suppose you're just sort of concentrating on. Initially, it was just being able to get up, you know, and, and stay up for a period of time to be able to go to physio and, you know, get up. And, well, I, I had a goal of getting outside for so long because, you know, you'd get up and go to physio and then you'd just about pass out so you'd be back in bed for the rest of the day, you know. And so it took so long for me to even get up and, and get outside. So then... You know, you just sort of get these little goals, I suppose, as you go along. But um, until I got to rehab, I suppose, and then you started in really with the um, OT and that about working with your your transfers and your, um, you know, just sort of mobilising around the house, you know, how to, to transfer across the bed and all that sort of stuff. And then they brought in the um, doing driving lessons to get my modified license when I was down there. Where was this? At, at, at Royal Rehab. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you got your license back through Royal Rehab yeah. at that, before you actually went home? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, were the, they were the ones that Matt Caruana was talking, he saw as well. Yeah. And it yeah, was pretty famous here. Well, and it, you know, and, I, and looking back on it, I just thank goodness that I did do do that because, um, yeah, like they'd just come and get me and we'd, well, once I sort of learned how to get in the car, um, we did all that and it, it was, you know, a relatively easy process, I suppose, because you just had that support from, from them. Um, what do you think it would have been? What do you think it would have been like if you had to have waited until you got back to Tamworth? How do you think you would have gone in a comparison? Yeah, it. Well, I'm not sure exactly how it would have gone because um, having somebody, I would have had to have had some found somebody that had the modified car mm. in the first place. So back then, I'm not even sure, you know, what the situation was um, here. I don't think we would have had it in Narrabri, so I probably would have had to have been, you know, travelling to Tamworth or or somewhere else to, to have lessons mm. um, in the modified vehicle and then, like, to get your licence um, as well. So, yeah, much easier process to, to have it while I was down in Sydney, even though it was extremely terrifying driving in Sydney whilst learning how to, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, get your hand controls. I mean, I'd, I'd driven, I suppose, tractors and stuff like that over the years with, with hand controls, but just trying to have that, um, the reaction time was, was what the big thing that you have to learn, I suppose, with when you start go back to, a, to hand controls is that, you know, fast acceleration or brake that you have to do. And so yeah oh god it was it was terrifying when you were like on a 
because I went around Silverwater and all that sort of thing around there and, and three lanes of traffic and... <laughs> And it I mean, that probably would have been hard enough as it was coming from Tamworth driving. That oh, well, and that's, I mean, we had, we've, we've got um, traffic lights and, and stuff, but you just don't have the, you know, the, like that the quantity of cars yeah. <laughs> nonstop. Yeah, totally. Oh, coming and, from Adelaide's bad enough. Uh, I find it difficult oh, enough to drive uh, in Sydney from Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I can't imagine what it's like from a rural township coming no. into. Well, and, and then I suppose also it was the, like the little things of um, you know, when we were driving around doing um, lessons and and he'd, we'd be poking along and then he'd go, righto, just pull up over, you know, down here when you can and we'll park there and we'll just have a chat about things. And, um, and he'd, so we'd do that and then he'd say, now, back there where you did, you know, so-and-so, whatever, you can't do that. You know, that's yeah. not... That's not right. And I'm like, well, when did that rule come in? You know, and he's like, oh, well, it's been in for quite a while. And I'm like, oh, God, you know. So I sort of was, there was all those little things of having been Relearning. driving for a long time. You know, like like I said, I was 38 when I had my injury. And so it was, you know, I'd been merrily driving around country roads, um, <laughs> probably, you know, breaking a lot of, a lot of little rules that nobody knows about but um so it was all of that side of things as well but yeah so then when I came home um I then just had to find out sort of work out what kind of vehicle I wanted to get or what suited me as such at that time and um and then just yeah organized hand controls and so what about in terms of that process so first of all, at Royal Rehab, um, did you what what did you have available to you? Was it was it like options, or how did how does it work yeah. with with them in terms of getting you driving and controls and things did like you that? Have a, was... Did you have a choice? Did you have a choice, or was it just one control system that you're able to try? Back then, it was really only one control system that they had, like in a car. Yep. Um, so, and and what style is that? What what, well, what, what do you, was... and is it the same as what you're using now? No, uh, similar. Yeah, because it was just the um, like the basic push pull type thing, or the or the radial yeah. ones. No, just the push pull one. Yeah, okay. Because uh, this was like two thousand and eight that I okay. did this as well. So yeah, so it was sort of basic, um, just push pull, and um, so that was also pre NDIS as well, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that would have been interesting as well. Yeah. And so as far as um, when I, it was all sort of like I just worked it all out when I came home. Um, so, yeah, I had to sell my vehicle that I had, my four-wheel drive, and then worked out what kind of vehicle I, I wanted. So I came, we came over to Tamworth um, for a day and literally just went around all the um, the car yards and just looked at all the various sort of different vehicles. Um, what was your criteria that you were looking at? The main thing was that it was like the um, the height of, so I was slightly get in. transferring in sort of on the same sort of level as, where, as my chair. And then 
I wanted a um, like a wagon as such so that I had the the boot space to be able to put you know chair or your gear that you cart around so where I get really excited as an OT Um, so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm gonna. There might be a few functional assessment uh, questions here. I can't. I can't do anything about your license or anything else like that. So don't get scared. Yeah. Um, what in regards to heights? Um, your your injuries T nine ten. You said. Yeah. So you get a lot of. You've got good shoulders and yeah. uh, and good upper body strength from the bottom of the rib cage up. Yeah. Yep. So do you use a slide board between? Yes, Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, we know a lot of people with a similar injury to yourself that wouldn't. Why do you, what's, what's the benefits for you of using a slide board? Well, I, I don't have a skinny little backside. So um, purely for trying to get from um, your chair mm-hmm. into, into your car, you've got, you've got to overcome a quite a good gap. Yep. And um, do you think that gap has changed with the newer cars since you got your license? It's probably a little bit more, I think. So, um, yeah, rather than like the chair, the seat into the car, I suppose, is it? Yeah, it's a little bit sort of. It's a bigger um, gap, isn't it? Yeah. It, and it is, it's, a, it's a bloody big gap when. You know, if you haven't got a little lightweight backside and legs and stuff that, you know, you can throw around the place, then um, the last thing that I need to, to do is to um, go down the middle as such. So, which I did when I was learning how to transfer into the into the vehicle at, at rehab. And, uh, yeah, it's not a nice feeling when you go bum first down between your chair and your and the door and the car into that little triangle area that's there. And that's where I went with my legs in the air. And I'd imagine it'll bloody hurt. Well, well, you know, it was you hit your head or something. It's a pretty awkward well, position. That's the other it problem. Was just hor- it was more horrifying. The fact that then you're just you're sitting there like going, Oh my God, what am I going to do now? You know, and then you've got to be able to get back up again. So um, yeah, that's, and I, and I think like, that is a big thing for me because I live independently and and that. So I've got to I've got to make sure that I'm getting from A to B. Mm. And um, like I say to a lot of people, you know, I might not necessarily be the the best person at transferring, but as long as I get there in one piece, you know, I'm good. Um, now you mentioned a wagon. That's yep. what you. That's what you got right from the start, was it? A wagon. Yeah, yeah. So, how yep. did you get your wheelchair? So, you've transferred yourself into the driver's seat. Yeah. How? What do you do with your wheelchair then? What's your process? Because yep. it's it's different for lots of people. What's your process? Yeah. So I've got like a rigid frame, um, and so then I just pull my wheels off, fold her up, pull her in over the top of me, and it sits on the passenger side uh, when I'm by myself. If people are with me they they just put it in the in the boot um part of the of the car have you explored still the sorry go on yeah i was just gonna say have you explored other options in regards to boot loaders and things like that that are available nowadays so i've 
I've looked at, I haven't gone into it as as such. Like I know they're they're available and and um you know it could be something that happens down the track, I suppose. Uh have you seen those that? robotic arm types things? There's a couple yeah, of products that come out of the boot and around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just of... thinking that um something like that. Yeah, well, I guess my my what I'm also thinking is um and the question which is I'm trying to figure out what to ask is is how have the products evolved, if that makes sense? So are you still using the same hand controls, transfer board? Have you had to change anything, you know? Um, and then um, I guess is that one of the things that you've been thinking assistance with that as well? Yeah, okay. So I've I haven't changed anything and at this stage. I think I'm I'm probably gonna look into that in the in the, over the next 12 months or so. Um, for two reasons, I've got, um, I do have a four wheel drive uh, motor chair that I use on the farm or going to uh, polycross events and horse events and stuff like that. So X8, is it a mobility X8? Is that what you've got or something yeah. similar? Yeah. 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 Really popular those, the mobility yeah. X8s for yeah. the country, it, rural yeah. living. Totally brilliant for, it's been it's just been fantastic but so I've transported it just on a box trailer on behind the car so but I've been sort of thinking you know over the last sort of couple of years I suppose of of being able to really do that independently because at the moment, like I sort of need assistance, you know, help to well to load my trailer, especially, um, and also it's easier if I've got other people to help me to unload or or load the X8. But um, so I, I've sort of been going down that road of oh, you know, what do, what do I do, and do I have to buy look at buying a van? And then self-driving the type thing from the, yeah, well, from the chair. Is that what you're thinking? Well, just being able to, I, I haven't really known of what I've been thinking because I've sort of going, okay, so I've got it. I'd have to be able to load my X8. So I've sort of nearly got to be able to be in it to load it. But then I've got to be able to still get into the passenger seat and drive. I've still got to then be able to get my manual chair in as well um, because I, you know, I use it on the on a daily basis. And so it's, I, I sort of was just going, oh, my goodness, this is going to, you know, take a fair bit of working out and possibly quite a fair bit of um, modifications to enable okay. me to, to do these sort of things. And so... I was sort of going, oh, you know, it was just a bit too much. And and then the thought of having to buy a vehicle as well that's, um, you know, if you, if you haven't got the modifications uh, or in a vehicle that you can buy that would suit you, you know, to get them done, you've got to buy pretty much a new vehicle, which is, you know, it's a hell of a lot of money. So, um I had seen a couple of years ago when the guys came up from Mobility on uh, into Tamworth and did a, a session with um, like all the a lot of uh, therapists and 
support coordinators we went and you know things like that and they showed they had the things on the car the different um you know modifications as such in the vehicle and we were talking about the chariot that they didn't have it there but we were sort of talking about it but so it's the it's like the little trailer that goes yeah. on mm. behind if you're um, listening to this, um, go back and listen to Eli's interview. We talked about the chariot uh, in the interview with Eli. He um, utilised one for a, a similar size chair, but it's the yeah. weight capacity that you'd need to be really careful with that one. Absolutely. And that's uh, what stopped me um, in it because of that, of the weight capacity was sort of right on the on the. Well, with the with the chariot also, um, isn't that sort of similar to the box trailer situation anyway? Like you still have to get, you know, yes. with, into your manual chair, and so it seems like doesn't seem like it's the best solution. Well, I think though, for me, um, I'm sort of going down the track of and having recently just talked to the to the boys again when they were up in in Tamworth and they um, had the chariot, and I was like sitting there going. This is what I think I want, but you know, it's I don't think it can handle my, my chair. And they were looking at um, increasing the weight capacity of it. And so, but I also sat there and I just said to them, you know, I, but I need to be able to load this myself. You know, I need it to work so that I can actually put it on and off my vehicle. And um, which, you know, I think we sort of. I think I can do it. I'd, I'd have to actually trial it, you know, but um, I think if I can get that that sort of uh, with the weight capacity and everything, it's going to be an option for me that's a lot more flexible and to be able to load, load my chair onto it and off I go. Sounds good. So with the car modifications, I mean, just to swing back a little bit to the original one and if you've had any done since then, I guess also being in a regional area, um, how did you find that process of getting the products, the car modified? Did you have it done locally? Did you have to travel? Like what, what was all that about? Yeah, and, no. and, and have you since done it since the first time as well? Yeah, no, I, I just had it done in, in Tamworth. Okay. And I suppose because it was only the hand controls at that stage. So it wasn't a, a major modification, you know, so it was sort of an easy process to get it done. And was it like the, because I know in Tamworth, there's a couple of engineering sort of shops. Was it through those or was it just like somebody you knew or was no, it? it was through one yeah. of the engineering shops because I knew I had to get it done like it has to be certified. Yeah. Um, so, we, yeah, I did all that, organised all that and, and did that. Um, but, yeah, because it's sort of a, a pretty basic sort of function that I've got, uh, yeah, I haven't changed it at all. But... I'm sort of looking at, um, yeah, possibly upgrading it a bit, or you know, looking at the different options available now. So the the car, the car and the control, just to clarify, it's the same one that you've had since the beginning. Okay, so yeah. I guess, and as I was sort of pointing out before, pre NDIS is when you sort of got this all. When NDIS came out, and and we'll get into a little bit, and you work within the NDIS, I guess, so you understand how that all works. Yeah. Did you feel like there is more options for you on the table, and it's better, and you can explore it, or, or like it was just not much different for you, if that makes sense? Well, 
I think for like for me because I'm not I'm not all about all the bells and whistles. I'm I'm just glad that if it you know if it goes and it's reliable and it works and that's my you know major um, boxes ticked as such. I think now you've got so many so many more options and to be able to you know look at the different um, the different option even just for for hand controls you know like of what's available um you know, would you would you consider another this is an interesting i guess thing you've been using that one how long has, has it been since you've been using the hand, hand control 20 2008 yeah. so what like 12 years or so 12 13 yep. years yep so would you one of the common things we get i guess in the workshop side of things is people will come and go in your position going, well, I've been using this since day one and I'm just going to get the same thing. Um, and often we like to challenge them to try multiple different things because they might find they've been sacrificing a lot or, um, or compensating oh, and they don't even really realize that because they just, like, as you said, at the time they were sold the idea that, Hey, well, this is all there is just get used to it. Yeah. And, um, but now, as you just noted, there's because of NDIS, there's so many more options. Mm. Um, yeah. Like, is it, is that something that you've thought about? Like, yeah, absolutely. Of- um, and because mainly, uh, I, I do know that when I, I've got to be careful when I do long trips. So, say for instance, if I'm driving from here to Sydney, by the time I sort of start hitting the, um, like the freeway, or and and especially once I get to sort of off the freeway and into Sydney, my because I'm more because you sort of got to hold that. Um, hand control all the time then I can get like a really good pain in in my uh, in my shoulder and so you know uh, definitely I I think you know if I could get a different sort of um, controls that so I'm not putting so much um, you know um, reliance on that one arm I suppose you know because it's not so bad if I'm doing long distances out west because, you know, you can just put cruise control on and off you go. Um, and then you can give those arms, you know, you, you can swap over your arms a bit and, and get a bit of a break from that. But, yeah, if I'm, if I'm on it all the time for a long period of time, I can get a really good... Um, yeah, it's like someone sticking a knife in my shoulder. So, And that's your hand control arm? Yeah. Yeah. From a from an OT point of view, you're holding tension in that arm. You're pulling against that hand control. You're holding tension in there, and those muscles are just using up all the sugar, and mm. they are they're in agony. They're they're crying out, and uh, under a static hold like that for a prolonged period of time, that's that can be really debilitating and and really unsafe. So um, yeah. it is one of the reasons why these upgrades are are sometimes warranted. The other thing that I wanted to ask was your hand control would be on the right-hand side of the steering wheel? Yes. Yeah. Do you use a spinner knob in your left hand or do you steer without one? Oh, no, I, I do have it. I use it. I mean, it's mainly I just use it really only for, you know, turning in parking, in tight yep. parking and stuff like that um, or in in your uh, in car parks when yep. you've got, you know, Sharp turns and stuff. Where's like your that. spinner knob placed? Is it placed at that nine o'clock, ten o'clock type of place? 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah, about the if, if we think about the steering wheel as a clock face, yeah. And where, when you take your hand off of the spinner knob, when you're driving these longer distances, where would you put your hand on the steering wheel when you're driving those longer distances? Probably, probably around the, the nine o'clock. Yeah. Maybe just a bit lower yep. to a degree. Yep. Um, yeah, that's really common. That seven o'clock type of area, if we think about the steering wheel as a clock face, yeah. seven o'clock, or some people even put their hand up at just past 12 o'clock. Uh, so it's up the top of the steering wheel. Um, mm. And we've spoken about this in other um, episodes. It's that camber of the road. And, and uh, we'll probably, Ali and I will probably break down some of these things in our follow-up uh, episode so if you want to know more about the benefits of different spinner knob positions and uh, hand controls we'll break that down in our follow-up episode coming up but we want to know more about you Catherine. Catherine you're um, working with the NDIS now or in the NDIS system? Yeah within the NDIS system yeah. And your role in that system? So I'm a support coordinator um, so assist people uh, with their NDIS plans to gain support in whether it's providers or following up, um, getting them a new OT or say, for instance, if, uh, and I mean, there's a difference with, with your OTs, obviously with, um, with levels of experience or what you can do. And so, you know, there's some obviously are, are more based with the equipment Others are, you know, you can do with um, vehicle mods or house mods and things like that. So it's uh, just trying to find out uh, what sort of the best option is and or whether, we, you know, like we've got to get someone else to do some uh, assessments for for the client and, yeah, things like that. So it's a on that, on that question of the uh, the OTs, do you have, um, I mean, and even with other parts of the services that, that you're using, that people are using, do you have uh, often cases where you're helping people find someone alternate because they can't get along or something like that? Um, oh, or is it yeah. normally just people? Yeah, absolutely. You've got a, a, a sort of a wide range, I suppose, in, in sometimes they, they just don't get along or... Um, you, you might have had something that's been declined and so therefore, you know, you're the person that's been the assessment or the therapist maybe just doesn't have enough experience in the like high level sort of stuff that you're trying to get. So, you know, you might have to go to somebody else that's got more experience or something like that to, you know, when you've, if you've got complex um modifications or whatever that you know you're trying to to get um where do you see the things like uh, i guess people have i mean we when you watch media um and so on uh, you often get highlighted you know big sort of wild stories and negative stories and things like that um and when we do these interviews we often see a lot of the positive side of things um, that people have found rather than the big sort of uh, issues that they've had. So um, from your perspective, what, what are you finding are the common, are there any common themes of issues that people have and, and um, you know, in terms of products, OTs or any part of it, um, uh, funding applications and, and any general advice around that? 
Mm. It's, I suppose, in in the NDIS, the big thing is that you have your goals um, that that are set out, and so you really need to have a good uh, think about what you want to achieve in that next, you know, twelve months or um, possibly longer with the plans, but. Uh, initially, especially in that, you know, what your life, I suppose, is is going to look like, and what what help in what areas you you're going to need, um, and then you've got to be able to then justify asking for what you're asking for, and so the OT or you know, and your physios and therapists that are assisting you have to really understand your lifestyle I think and that's that's the big thing in and then they have to be able to explain that and justify the request to the NDIS because um, I mean say for instance with me living in a, a rural area and you know like having going to you know farms and and um showgrounds and polar cross fields out in the back of you know the back paddock sort of thing you you've got to try and explain that life to somebody that's sitting in and sitting in sydney or um wherever because i mean planners can be wherever at the moment and so they've got to be able to explain that lifestyle I suppose and that's the big thing is that especially you know if that person doesn't have a clue about like rural life for instance and and living on a farm and and getting about and and things like that then we've got to be able to explain that and justify then why you are asking for you know a four-wheel drive um modification yeah. yeah and things like that and and I mean you know I I sort of got the the four-wheel drive but then I also have a Baytech which um power assist which I put on the front of my manual chair which gives me um you know that ability I suppose around Tamworth here to you know take my dog for a run or you know I can whiz over town and you know longer distances basically yeah and um or even you know if i'm if i'm going somewhere for the day you know for a day trip i can put it in and then you know i'm i'm not reliant on then you know friends or whoever that are with me to push me up a hill or something or or, you know just but even even like you've mentioned catherine the amount of energy that you expend trying to get in and out of the car and how much time that actually takes and having a power assisted wheelchair whether it's a motorbike front wheel or whether it's a smart drive at the back of a of a um, static chair, uh, sorry, um, fixed Manual. frame chair. Um, they, that's really important that the NDIS needs to understand because uh, and it, and it, I I really thank you for explaining that the OT's responsibility of explaining the whys why do we need this is really 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 important and um yeah. and painting that picture of that lifestyle i think a lot of it comes to the communication process and method right yeah absolutely and, yeah. and trying to picture that lifestyle so one one question i've got around that which um 
I guess seems like it's going to be challenging is well, going back to what you were saying about like the beginning um, or the early days, like how does somebody know what their lifestyle is going to be? Um, because their mind, isn't their mind full of a lot of confused situations and there's probably under attack in terms of creating oh. a picture and then yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, so it, it wouldn't it be very difficult for, like, can you get support around people helping you to create that picture, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think... I think um, initially it's it's so hard because you sort of have this picture in your head in a way of, you know, oh, I'm going to go home and I'll get, I'm going to go back to work, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But then the reality of when you actually do, you know, go home and, and it's like, oh, my goodness. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, how, I, I, when you were saying some of those things, yeah. and when I think, you were saying some of those things, it was just interesting because I broke my foot a couple of months ago and I mean it was only a couple of weeks that I was immobile but I walked in the house and I looked at my stairs and I was like shit I didn't even think about this and I and when I was at, out in the hospital or wherever I was I was like I'm just gonna get home and start moving around I walked in the door and I was like oh crap yeah yeah <laughs> I need to get and, upstairs yeah and it's it's just a reality I suppose of living with it because you it's always like you know if you if you're going out for dinner um and it'd be like for, you know, even for work, you know, and, and they'd be work, working out, um, you know, Christmas parties and everything like that. And it'd be like, okay, it's not all about me, but it is about me because we need to go somewhere that's accessible that I can actually get in the front door. And then, you know, do they have um, disabled, like the toilets and stuff like that, you know, or am I only going to be able to go for a couple of hours and then I'll have to go home sort of thing or, or what, you know? And, um, and so, and, and even just for visiting, you know, your friends and, and people, you know, they invite you around for a coffee, but you can't actually get in the front door or, you know, so everything's always revolving around, you know, can I actually get in the front door of places, you know, um, that's sort of like the, first thing in your mind so then having having even um you know getting your power assists and stuff like that with within the ndis it, it just changes your life it really does and it just um it gives you back your your freedom a lot you know to a big degree because you know without without the power assist for me you know life is a a, a big you know, different outlook, I suppose. I've, I've got a couple of questions. Um, if I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 12 months, I'm not somebody that can plan 12 months ahead. I, I would really struggle with that with the, with the NDIS. So we, um, so if I wanted, let's say my car dies. Okay. And I needed to upgrade in the 12 month period. Okay, and I needed to uh, get new modifications into a new vehicle. What advice would you have? And it's not written into my plan. What advice would you give a participant if something along that line, something that's unpredictable happens or or they've had a change of mindset? Maybe they've moved into a new home over those 12 months and something like this comes up where they can't get in and out of their car in their new garage or they or that something's happened to their car over the 12 months. 
what advice can you give to somebody who has a change of circumstances within that 12 months? Is it just about being patient until the next plan review or is there other stuff that can be done? Now, there is other stuff that can be done. I mean, you can put in your, in your change of circumstances uh, requests and things like that. So, um, you know, that, that there's always options, I suppose. Um, your vehicles are a little bit different, you know, because, I mean, if your whole vehicle blows up, then you, you know, you're in a bit of trouble. Um, because if you've got to buy a new vehicle... If, I mean, if you're buying the same vehicle again, you know, then it'd be sort of a, a, bit a, a bit easier because you know that that sort of vehicle suits you and stuff like that. It's when you start changing things that um, you have to do your, your uh, investigating and, you know, and I think that's, that's the, big, the big thing that I would say is that you need to, you know, investigate your options Um and trial things because, you know, you, I mean, you, your OT is going to have to trial uh, equipment or, you know, come in and look at your house and, and look at the different options available and everything because they've got to justify, you know, why, why this doesn't work um, and this one did and things like that. So you've got to trial different options. And I think also too is that, a lot of the time you're not going to know if something's going to work or not until you try it, you yeah, know. And use it, even even yeah. using it for a longer term because sometimes well, when you're doing trials, you, you're excited and, you yeah. know, you might be trying to impress somebody or you might even be tired, you know, like it's, there's so many different aspects that can happen there as well. Absolutely. And really you've got to, yeah, you've got to, um, you've got to know that you can still do things on your worst day, I suppose, you know, like... Um, yeah, because uh, when you can't do, when you can't physically do things, it you know it does stop you in your tracks. So, um, so my next question, uh, which is a on the same type of um, frame as the last question I had, but if somebody uh, was starting to think about driving, maybe they've come home in a similar situation to yourself and they want it written into their plan, or maybe it's a 16 year old who's about to excited about getting their license. What advice can you give to somebody as a, as a support coordinator? What advice can you give to somebody who wants to explore driving? What, what advice should they be thinking about in regards to their plan and how can they move forward in regards to finding that support that they need? Uh, yeah, so you, you've sort of got to get an assessment to, to say that you're, you can you can do, do the driving lessons and, and everything like that. So you've got to get the sign-off from that. So, I mean, also, you know, I think there's um, your medical forms and stuff like that that you've got to, you know, get signed off on. Um, and then then yes to find out if you've got somebody locally that actually can do driving lessons uh with you and if there's if there is a modified vehicle that you can do all of that on um because you know it's all we've got ones here in in, in tamworth and everything that do it but i mean for your you know possibly for smaller rural areas uh, especially, you know, they're going to possibly have to travel um, 
to a bigger place to be able to do it. Yeah, we um, spoke about that in one of our other yeah. interviews with Jack, didn't we, Ellie, where we, yeah. we spoke to a guy that lives on that outer fringe of Adelaide, or even a little bit further, um, and there's just nothing available in his area. Everyone's located close to Adelaide. Yeah. So yeah. he had to go through the harder. process of getting his car before he got his licence when he was on his L's. Yeah, yeah, and I think, though, too, you know, if you sort of can, if you because if you can learn to drive also on, on what you're going to be using would be easier as well, rather yeah. than then having to, to change, you know, after you've learned that, because that, you know, that's, that's a, still an adjustment that you've got to do then if you're going to be learning on a new or a different sort of system. So it would be easier if you, yeah, you get your license and everything, um, so um, I'm thinking we, we can start to kind of wind it up a little bit. Um, with the, but I wanted to bring something, I guess, highlight something. You're saying you're working with, as a coordinator within the NDIS. Were you always working within this industry? or did you, And, and um, what led you to that? Is it an inspiration or is it just, a, what was the, how did you end up in this position? Mm. Um, yeah, so I was um, in banking all my life and so was still with the bank when I had my injury and I still I worked with them um for you know fair few years afterwards but um I suppose it's probably been out of the bank now for about five years I've worked with um spinal cord for um three years three and a half years now um so I suppose just I fell into it in a in a way, I suppose, because the 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 lady that was working in the organisation before me, she was retiring, and so she was looking for somebody to to come in, and um, so yeah, just um, I suppose, you know, partly because I have a, a spinal cord injury, that you know, it's uh, a bit of a it's a good part of my job, I suppose, in that it's easy to relate to people a lot yeah. more, you know. And and so when I'm talking to my clients, you know, they know that they can just say whatever um, because I know I, I understand to you know point of, of what they're going through um, and what they're talking about because I think that's a, a big part of of things is that it's really hard to explain your life in a chair and, and the effects of everything on your body and just, you know, and, and understanding the pain levels and things like and spasms and all that side of things that goes along with our, with our life. And, um, and you know that another um, spinal cord person, injury person, you know, just understands what you're going through. And uh, so it's a lot easier to, to talk to people, I find, about it. So, um, you know, that's been, I suppose, a, a great thing about my job too. Um, which you sort of throw, I think. So you're, you're, still, uh, you're still in there for the long haul by the sounds of it then? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sounds good. It is I mean, it's good. It's, it, I, think, I think what you're doing is amazing because I think also the fact that uh, the the users can feel more comfortable um, explaining their situation, whereas maybe in some cases, if the person, as you said, wasn't in the wheelchair, 
that the support coordinator wanted them in the wheelchair. You just, I mean, look, I could imagine that if I was in a wheelchair and I went up to someone who was able-bodied, instantly I'd be thinking, what the F do you know? You know, um, how, how on earth are you going to help me? You know, you, and whether you like it or not, those thoughts are just going to be crossing your mind. So I, yeah. I think it's really cool that people in Tamworth can have this um, well, I resource. Think, um, I think too is that I like to try and, um, you've got to try and educate people, I think, because, you know, I, I mean, it's not, it's not, People don't be ignorant on purpose, I'd like to think. You know, it's just no. because unless you know somebody and directly and, and have a lot to do with a person that's got whatever they've got going, you know, whether it's a, it's cancer or, or, or what sort of form of disability, unless you know somebody and, and are, are spending a lot of time with them on a personal basis, you don't really get what they what they go through on a day to day basis, yeah. and, and I say to people, you know, not walking is the least of my worries as such, you know, because it's all the other things that go along with with having a spinal cord injury that affect my life probably more really on a day to day basis than actually just not work not walking yeah. as such. So um, even though you know, that is what people see as me in a wheelchair. They see that, that well, you just don't, you know, you just can't walk. But, yeah, you know, like I say, that's, yeah, that's that's um, the least of your worries in a way, I suppose, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, that's, that cool. that's really insightful. And, and what a, I, for me, that's where we should end it on that note. Uh, I think yeah. that's, it actually is a good way to, to round this up, um, Catherine. You don't get away with it, though. We always ask a question at the end of uh, each of our interviews um, about driving. Uh, for each interview participant, we ask that, well, driving is more than just I'm going to get from home to work. The cars are more than that for a lot of people. What's something that you do in your car that uh, is maybe a little bit unique, a little bit different than other people don't know about, whether it's a game or a, what do you use your car for other than just to and from work? Well, God, I don't know. Like it's, I mean, I suppose that, it, going um, in rural areas and everything like that and, and uh I suppose going to Polycross and things where, you know, like I say, you're on showgrounds and, and whatever. Your big thing is that you don't always have toilets available. And so, you know, it's one thing that I always carry is like a, a spare, like leg bag, you know, bag as such. And, uh, and it'll always be, yes, that you, I suppose that's what you, you, you use. Use the car for. The car <laughs> gets yeah, yeah, which is it sounds a bit gross, but um, you know, it uh, it is what it is, and you know, um, so that's yeah, that's it. But uh, that's I why we ask these questions. We are always learning. Cars it can be used for so many things, um, yeah. and and on this occasion, um, yeah. thank you for sharing that because a lot of people wouldn't think about that. And sometimes uh, I've I've actually asked for window tinting um, in. <laughs> Uh, some of our NDIS applications for vehicle modifications. Uh, it's been declined because it's a everyday uh, necessity. Uh, well, you know, somebody can go and put window tinting onto their car as a feel and a look, 
But in your case, having a little bit of privacy um, to be able to do some toileting and for some other people, it is it is a big ordeal in regards to change of clothes and, and bits and pieces as well. And having a little bit of privacy in their car can make a, a massive difference. And uh, I encourage if uh, NDIS are listening to this, uh, uh, um, somebody that's approving bits and pieces that something as simple as window tinting can make a massive difference to, to somebody's uh, ability to, to live their life the way that they need to. Yeah, and I think that sort of comes back to, like I said, when understanding somebody's lifestyle and, you know, and what, what, what we have to do um, to just to get by and, you know, you, you go, I say that all the time. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just have to work out how to do it, you know, because there's no other option, you know. So that's that's a big thing is that, you know, sometimes it's just, a, yeah, it's working out how to do things rather than the fact that you can't. Yeah. Sounds All good. Right. Well, let's wind it up. That's that's it for this episode. Um, we thank everybody uh, that listens into this Um we thank them for their listening. Um, if you like this uh, episode or any other episode, make sure that you uh, press the like button and the share button. And, uh, and if you can put a rating on it as well. Um, a massive thank you to you, Catherine. Um, thank you. If, if there's a way that, um, would you be happy to share your contact details if people wanted to get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, sure. You don't have yeah. to do that here. What we can do is put it in the show notes and people yep. can or contact us and, and uh, we can uh, put that up for people. Yep, sure. Yep. That sounds good. And as we say in every episode, if you have any queries about what you can do and what will work for you, get in, talk, uh, get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. The discussion today demonstrated once again, trials is what's important. They really put you in the driver's seat and uh, yeah, more trials, more practice, that means you'll understand what your lifestyle is going to look like, what things are going to be um, and how they're going to work. So yeah, let's do it. All right. Thank you very much, Catherine and everybody else for listening in. Thank you. Thanks very much. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.